All right. Hello. Greetings, listeners. (laughs) Hello. We are, we are Horror Academy. This is a new podcast about horror. Yep, that's what it's about. Do you have anything to add? No, I'm (laughs) trying to decide if this is scripted or if you're just winging it. (laughs) I, I did not write out a script. I feel like I would be bad at writing out a script and then I would have no excuse for how bad I sound when I say it. Great. Oh yeah, I'm Alexandria Youngray. And I am Sunshine Balan. How are you? I'm great, I'm great. Good. Yeah. Did we want to start with, with how we got into horror, or do we want to just skip that entirely and move into the story? Alex's Basement, circa, what, 2006? Oh god, Five? we're old. It's fine. It's fine. So I've been into horror since before that. Yes. I, I've i arguably been into kind of creepy shit for, like, ever. Because, like, you know, my favorite movies as a kid were, like, Adam's Family and Nightmare Before Christmas. And, you know, not, like, spooky spooky, but, like, you know, creepy shit for children. Yeah, yeah, for children. Um, And then, oh, I got weird, like, all weird people do and got mad into serial killers Mm -hmm. uh and then i guess i got into horror through that around that no it was around that it was just sort of like a how about we research jeffrey dahmer and watch texas chainsaw massacre because that's a normal thing for a 13 year old girl to do you know, I think it's an increasingly normal thing for there. 13-year-old girls to do. I encourage 13-year-old girls to research Jeffrey Dahmer and watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think we'll have to get into the implications of that <laughs> at a later time. Because there's a lot I think I could say about that right now. I think now is not the time to unpack my uh, broken psychosis. No. No, now is not the time. <laughs> That'll have to be one of those two-hour specials. That's a two-hour special. What's wrong with Alex? The two-hour special. That'll be our 50th episode. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> oh, God. That's so bad. But you you also, not as much as me, but you were into horror before we met. I was definitely more interested uh, in creepy people and and true crime. And then, and then like you've mentioned, X-Files sort of bridging that gap between sci-fi and and horror. Spooky aliens. Yeah, spooky aliens. Which it totally was. Especially when yeah. I was a kid, that shit was way creepy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely way creepy. And then we definitely bonded over procedurals and a passionate love for SVU and Law and Order. Which is- retrospectively a little bit odd but it's so good but also probably a little odd but it's so good yeah i i still to this day you know when i when i have my law and order naps <laughs> i uh i kind of sometimes think about it and i'm like this is a little weird that i'm sitting here like chain watching procedurals about women getting raped or murdered and raped or you know in any order really and and uh just wondering what what that indicates, that level of interest in, in those kind of very dark stories, just letting them go one after another. So maybe we'll have an episode 50 and an episode 50.5 where we go into uh, Sunshine's broken psychosis. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good <laughs> idea. That's, I think that's valid. Um, so yeah, I imagine the listeners, all two of them, have figured out that we've known each other for a long time. They probably already knew that because they're our parents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Caroline. And maybe Caroline. Yeah. Maybe Caroline. Maybe I'll force some of 
you know, Kelly. Kelly might be willing to listen to this. I think if we make it into a drinking game, a lot of them would be willing to listen to this. Oh, but that would make Kelly less likely to listen to this. But we can still uh, make it into a drinking game. That's he true. Can, that's true. He can play along. Yeah. He, he'll live. He's fine. <laughs> he'll live. So yeah, we, we watched a lot of procedurals together. Because fuck yeah. But then I think like we came together in horror through Silent Hill. Yes. The video game. Yes. Maybe. Praise be unto our lord. Spooky motherfucker pyramid head. <laughs> Please no touch. Please no touch. Please no hurt. Many an hour in your basement, cowering on the couch. So that's that's the story of our childhood, is fucking playing Silent Hill. And we had a whole process. We would print off the walkthrough because we were way too chicken shit to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. I would hold the controller while you read the walkthrough and clicked off and, like, like took a pen to every, like, period we got to. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was really ace at being on book and I couldn't handle the navigating. It was way too stressful for me. And then uh, I would hear the radio static or see, like, a patient ge- demon skittering around and shit myself. And immediately, like, pause, throw the controller at you, and you would handle fighting the monster. I remember that was a thing. Like, we actually worked on your reaction time of, like, the pause and toss. Like, I remember having, I think, more than one conversation about, like, we got to work on doing this as quickly as possible so we don't mess up. Because if you don't actually hit pause before you throw it to me, then we're probably going to die. <laughs> God, I remember throwing it to you without hitting pause first. And you were like, what the fuck am I? I've just been standing here. (laughs) Whoops. Oh, poor James. (laughs) Poor Harry. Whoever. Poor Heather. All those poor people. (laughs) So yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to do kind of like history of Silent Hill as our first episode. Uh, Nostalgia. For nostalgia and for spoop. And it, it makes sense. So, so Silent Hill, the video game, actually took its inspiration from a few small towns. There's one in Maryland or Maine? Oh, I don't dear. remember which one. And then there's another one in Washington. So, like, either coast, small towns. And then they, they have a bunch of media influences. So, like, Jacob's Ladder was one of the influences. So, like, War Vet with, like, terror hallucinations. I don't know how familiar you are with that one. Oh, not at all. Oh, really? Oh, shit, girl. Okay, this is why we're making this podcast, is so that I can edumacate you about all of the horror, and you can have a million D nightmares. Great. (laughs) I haven't been getting enough sleep. Good. Oh, wait, no. So let me rephrase that. I've been getting too much sleep. Please give me nightmares. Gladly. Let me introduce you to uh, my psyche, episode 50. So yeah, Jacob's Ladder is one of them. I read that Phantoms, which was a mediocre horror movie from, like, 2000. And Silent Hill came out in 1999, the first one. So, also Session 9, which was, like, an asylum thing. One of those spookies. Stuff that I definitely buy. Alien. Body horror, sci-fi horror. That sort of stuff. And also psychological thriller. That was one of the things that Silent Hill did really well, was they kind of turned, like, the horror video game genre more psychological thriller, which is how survival horror was created as a genre. Right, like we talked about with the rendering of the fog mm-hmm. and the radios and those yeah, sorts of things. Yeah, so it became less about, like, fighting monsters, and it became a lot more about, like, freaking the fuck out while trying to survive in this horrifying ambiance. And make it through whatever the game wanted you to do before you could end. Mm-hmm. Yep. So so that was kind of how, like, survival horror was created, was, like, it really started with Silent Hill. Which is, again, one of the reasons I fucking love this series. I'm mad at Konami, but we're not going to talk about it. Other inspirations are The Mist from Stephen King, which makes a fuckload of sense, if you think about it. The Mist, yeah. the fog, yeah. the ash. <laughs> well, because, like, in The Mist, like, you know, basically the whole world is just covered in this like uns like perceivable fog with monsters in it it all makes sense you know 
you can kind of get it. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that I know media wise is the art of Francis Bacon, who's an Irish artist who did like this weird, like body horror art in like the 1950s. And if you look up his stuff, you can kind of see it. It's, it's very spooky. It's very like distorted, dysmorphic, you know, horror, body horror. Silent Hill 2, which was our favorite to play. Oh, yes. Was also inspired by Crime and Punishment. Oh, really? Yeah. Do explain. And, and you can kind of think about it. So so Crime and Punishment is the Dostoevsky novel. It's about this dude. His name is uh, Rodion Romanovich Raskolnikov. Very good at Russian. Yes. He kills this lady. Uh, I think she's a pawnbroker? And her sister, because she's there, and he, you know, he wanted to get money out of it, but he just bungles it, and he only gets away with, like, a purse and a couple of jewelries, and, like, he does not even touch her actual fortune, Mm -hmm. but he also manages to get away with, like, like, no evidence, no witnesses, so, like, he gets away with it, he just doesn't get anything out of it. Right. And then the whole rest of the book is this series of, like, other sad and misfortunate and super strange characters. And then homie Rastilnikov, fucking the dude. Mm -hmm. He just feels super fucking guilty. And kind of slowly goes, like, weird insane by his own guilt. Okay. So you can kind of see that in Silent Hill 2 with uh, James Sunderland and his wife... Sort of like you were discussing with the uh, representation of the horror being kind of unique to their own personal issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that part of Silent Hill and part of what makes it so cool to me is that I think that the horror very much represents the psychology of the player character. Yes. And so with James Sunderland, he's got this... um, you know, he has a lot more sexual demons. He's got the mannequin demons, and he's got a lot more sexual themes in the horror. See Pyramid Head raping the mannequin demon when you walk into the hotel room. Yes. But then, you know, in the end of that that particular game, there's a scene with Angela? And you're in the church, and everything's on fire, and she's like, oh, it's always like this for me. So, you know, it's got the psychology yeah, to yeah. it. And, you know, so you get, like, the weird guilt, blah, 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 going slowly insane, and you've got these weird, sad side characters, and... Yeah. So, Crime and Punishment. Right, okay, that makes sense. It makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, then we get to the Silent Hill movie, which is heavily inspired by this ghost town, Centralia, Pennsylvania. So, think, think broken streets, think, like, thick, toxic fog... Which is also in the games. But, like, you can kind of see it when you see the movie. Like, there's literally broken streets in the movie. Like, streets, like, with, like, cracks in them and the road falling down into it kind of thing. By broken mm-hmm. streets. And you and you can't drive on it because it is so fucking broken. Right, right. And, you know, one of the most famous streets from Centralia, Pennsylvania is Route 61. Mm-hmm. Which was not destroyed, but, like, kind of considered, like, you can't drive on this. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's cracking. There are these huge holes in the ground where the street cracked. Right. It's like decommissioned. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you the history of Centralia. Lay it on one. me. Centralia, Pennsylvania. Lay it on me. I want to hear it. Okay. So Centralia, as a as a, like an American town, actually dates back to 1749, where natives stole the stole nope where colonists. Natives sold the land to colonists. Is this another Stole. bead transaction? This this might have that might have been a Freudian slip on my part. Mm. Um, <laughs> they sold it for five hundred pounds, which I didn't do the inflation or conversion for. It sounds like a lot of money, but like at the same time, we know how fucked natives got. So there's probably not an amount of money that makes up for what we did to them. Yep. So, 1749, natives sold colonists the land. It was incorporated in 18, eh, 1811 as Bull's Head, and then it was, and then that same location was incorporated as Centralia Borough in 1862. 
the same year, 1862, Centralia Colliery opened. Right, the colliery. Which was a, a, mining, a mining complex. So I kind of got to get into, like, mining in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania is, like, a big fucking, like, black coal mine land of the coal. Land of the strip mine coal? Well, strip mine, shaft mine, it's all up in there. Oh, lots of stripping, um, lots of shafts. Lots of strips, lots of shafts. Keeping it classy. Mm-hmm. It's a colliery after all. Centralia is, well, I mean, there's just so much coal. There's so much coal in in Pennsylvania. And Centralia itself is located on top of Buck Mountain Coal Bed, which is just a big, big, big landmass of coal. Okay. And there's, there's bituminous coal, which is your standard, like, little black coal mm-hmm. rocks. That's what you think of. Just these black charcoal. Yeah. Rocks. And those aren't as pure as anthracite coal, which are 92 to 98% carbon. They're the closest thing to pure next to graphite. Okay. And that is what is located under Centralia, is this anthracite coal. And so it's super fancy, super nice coal, hard to light, but very, very good at burning once you've got it lit. And it's kind of neat. It actually burns this blue flame. Ooh, that is neat. I like a nice blue cool. flame in my fire. Yeah, and I, I might, um, I might get back into that a little later because I watched a, I watched a few documentaries. One of them was called "The Town That Was," mm-hmm. and they just followed this guy. What was his name? John. Blah 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 blah. blah. Beep boop bop beep boop. In, bop, in the winter beep, time, boop. we use coal here. And fun fact: it's coal that my grandfather actually moved from Draper. When they moved their household out here, uh, you know, almost, what, 300 miles, he actually loaded up the small coal reserve he had at the house in Draper in a wow. trailer and moved it out here because it was good coal. And, you know, it's 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 oh. pretty good. We use a brick of it every few nights in the wintertime. And, you know, every once in a while I feel guilty about it. But then I think of that whole long tailpipe analogy and the amount of our electricity that's really incredibly dirty or powered by coal in general. And I go, well, if I'm going to put a lump of coal in here where there's not a lot of coal fires going and turn my thermostat down, feels kind of like sixes. It's kind of sixes. Plus, it's so nice. I love coming home, especially when I work nights in the wintertime. I get all stressed out driving home on these, like, lonely, icy desert roads at, like, 1130 at night. Pour myself a whiskey mm. and make a fire. Ugh. Uh, yeah, I actually I saw this one YouTube video of this person who was wandering into he was just wandering around this old abandoned house in mm-hmm. Centralia. Like that was kind of the video, which felt a little invasive, but whatever. And he went into the basement and there was literally there was a uh, it wasn't a radiator. It was mm-hmm. just a heater in general. It was probably a water heater and a radiator right. mixed. And it had a little like yeah, cold compartment. And then you go, you know, like, fucking three feet to the coal left. Chute. And, uh, yeah, yeah, there was just this this room yeah. that was coal. That's, like, incredibly common. Because because that's what they lived on. I'll get into that. I'll get into that later. But, yeah, I, I found the name. It was about John mm-hmm. Lakaitis is his name. And who is this John so, Lakaitis? So I'll get back to that. He's uh, one of the people that still lived there the time of this documentary, which was in, like, 2006. Oh, wow. I didn't realize people were still living mm-hmm. there that recently. There are still... Uh, okay, I'll get okay, into okay. it. I'll get into it. It's, it's fun. Back on track it's here. fun. It's fun. Okay. So blah, blah, blah. I talked about anthracite coal, which is what's under mm-hmm. Centralia. And as you know, there are two like main kinds of coal mining. There's strip mining and then there's shaft mining. Gotta love that shaft which, mining. Oh, gotta love that shaft mining. Oh my God, sunshine. I hate coal so much. It's fine. It's fine. I just... Can we Man. just can we just stick Cole. to making like really clumsy innuendos and not go into our very difficult feelings in relationship with coal? Yeah, we yeah. can just make innuendos. I have very severely difficult relationships with my feelings, but innuendos are great. It's a really good way to avoid <laughs> dealing with what's actually bothering you and just, you know, talk about sex. Welcome to America. <laughs> Hello. Hello. So yeah, the big the big problem here is shaft mining. 
And this was a coal mining town. So that's what people came here for. That's what people did. You know, they incorporated the town in 1862 as Centralia Borough. And then the first census report came out in 1870 because mm-hmm. they're over 10 years. And the number, I've got it right here. It was 1,342 people in 1870. So just a little coal mining town. Everybody was mm-hmm. shaft miners, right? And also keep in mind when you're when you're shaft mining, you're not just digging out the coal. You're also putting in these timber supports to right, keep the right. roof you're up. You're creating structural integrity for your tunnels. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's going to come back. Now we're going to talk about this town on yes, fire, town right? Yes, town on fire. Hell on earth. Lay it on me. So the fire was first reported May 27th, 1962. In 1960, the population had actually started going down. Centralia's, like, biggest population year was 1890, when it was 2,761 people. And it was kind of... It it got kind of big. Ish. 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 Got kind of big for a really small town. I mean, you saw that map. Minuscule. Two blocks. It's a baby. It's a New York City block. (laughs) And then it, it started progressively going down. And one of the reasons for that was, you know, we were moving to petroleum and the depression just made everything difficult for everyone. And so small towns became less feasible, like you had to move out for work because selling coal just wasn't doing it. And so in 1960, there was only 1,435 people. So it was still a solid-sized town. It was bigger than when it was first incorporated, but it, it wasn't nearly as big as it was with the 2700 right, people. Right, for a modern town that's really small. Oh, yeah. I mean, it never got big. It was always a small town. And that was kind of the appeal of it, was just this cute little yeah. charming town. Everybody knew everybody. It was it was that steez. Very Catholic, Christian values. Like, just... It worked for it them. It worked for them. It was... <laughs> yeah. It's not my jam, but it's somebody's jam. And it was really, really strongly their jam. Who worked for them. That's what's important. Who worked for them. So 1962, May 27th, that's when the fire is officially reported. It was near the Independent Order of Oddfellows Cemetery, where a dump was. There was a dump, a municipal waste, really close, and it was right before Memorial Day. So every year, right before Memorial Day weekend, they would do a controlled burn. To kind of you know get rid of the sites, right, all and that the garbage stank the before visiting dump, your loved ones who because, passed. Mm-hmm, yep, because they're, and you know this was a it was a big veteran town. You know they made a deal out of visiting the cemetery right, of course, on of Memorial Day, so they did a controlled burn, but it was obviously not a good enough control. Obviously not because it caught a local abandoned mine. So that's what that's the generally most agreed upon. One of the things that I used for research was this uh, city. It was a Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection Bureau of Abandoned Mine Reclamation, FAQ, about Centralia. <laughs> and they list a couple other possibilities, one of them being something something vandalism, one of them referencing an explosion in the mines from 1930, which I had actually heard so, about so before. So they basically thought it was feasible that a explosion in the 1930s could have maintained smoldering underground for that amount of time and then grow. Yes. Yes. There are thousands of coal fires, coal mine fires worldwide that are continuing to smolder for years. Do we know of any that have gone on for that kind of extended period of time? Oh, absolutely. This one. Right, okay, yeah, fine. Sure. Because this started in 1962. It's been burning for, what, 56 years? And it's not going to stop. It's got another 100, 200 Where's years. Where's the fuel? Yeah. Oh, man. It, it's a thing. It's a thing. Another possibility is spontaneous combustion, which actually is a thing that happens. I still think it's the trash fire, but I'm going to go into spontaneous combustion. So, coal exposed to the atmosphere will oxidize think iron rusting right that's a slow oxidation a fast oxidation is just a fucking bonfire right yeah yeah right oxygen breaking things down so coal will oxidize from exposure to the atmosphere any chemical oh my god any chemical 
reaction, any chemical reaction will will cause heat. So the coal's oxidizing, it's heating up, it's oxidizing, it's heating up, it's oxidizing, it's heating up. Spontaneous okay. combustion. Okay, valid. Spontaneous doesn't necessarily mean immediate, it just means without right. outside right. forces. So it is possible that the coal fire was started by spontaneous combustion. But generally speaking, everybody thinks it was this controlled burn that of makes, the local yeah, dump. That makes sense. Yeah. So it gets into the local, you know, abandoned mine shaft that's near Oddfellows Cemetery. And it just goes. And that's a thing. It just, it just goes. They go forever. We have... I've heard anywhere from 100 to 250 coal fires that are currently burning in the United States right now. In the United States um, alone. That was also from the Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because we have a ton of coal in the United States. Utah has a fuckload of abandoned Great. mines. We'll have Great. to go and explore, explore those sometimes. But, like, not really because I've heard way too many stories I don't need of to end up like those kids and then, yeah. Thai children ending up. Well, wait, I thought they <laughs> No, they were Thai. Either way, I don't need to end up like them. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to die in a in yeah, a coal any mine. Kind of, any kind of mine. Thank I think. you. No, no thanks. I think too many of our ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun little diversion that's still totally applicable. The uh, Park City mines. They uh, used to do a haunted house there every Halloween, and I think they stopped in the early two thousands. <gasps> oh no! Because you know they're so. Because coal mines are uh, fucking well, dangerous. It's, it's Park City Silver Mine. And it was actually oh, okay. really cool. Like, okay. they still do tours of the silver mine where you go down the elevator a couple miles on the earth's surface and you go through the shafts. And it's, it's interesting. But the I, I actually went to this haunted house as a kid, which might have been, uh, I think that was a really big impression moment for me. Because it was a high dollar, high production, just terrifying, gruesome experience that they... That sounds they so actually, fucking cool. When you, when you do the haunted house, they actually take you down in the elevator. Those And they told me it was two miles. Yeah. So you, you go no. down. <laughs> That's the so spooky. Oh, God. The mine shafts. That's where it is. There's times when oh, you would amazing. walk on these shifting boards inside of an incredibly small mine shaft. Like, if you're an obese man, good luck. You're probably not getting through. Right. And so it was, you know, the, the terror of a regular haunted house compounded by the fact that you couldn't just pitch a fit and get out. Like... You were right. inside a mine, deep underground, and it was about an hour-long activity. You could not leave oh my God. until you'd gone through there. It was a terrifying experience for me. And anyway, they that, uh, that is they so ended up cool. shutting the the haunted house down after one year. Um, it was themed. Oh, no. it, it, it was all because okay, so Park City is really into their mining history. They have the old miners' hospital. It's a silver mining town. Like that's mm-hmm. the whole shtick. Besides skiing, right? And mm-hmm. the the last year they had it, I believe, they uh, the theme was like haunted by the old dead miners because the mine the mine oh, stopped no. being a functioning mine after some tragedy where a whole bunch of silver miners died and all these things, right? Oh, so God, then the theme of was that it was haunted by the dead miners, and the whole town was like, "Ah, oh, this is so disrespectful of our heritage." Like, no, they stopped. No more, no more haunted mines. Oh. That's, yep, that's that's what it was. it was. That's so fucking stupid. Okay, so you were telling that story, and the whole time I was thinking, as a person that thinks that horror is fucking cool, that is the coolest fucking idea of my life. But as a lawyer who worries about liability, that whole process makes me want to die. Yeah, it was definitely, <laughs> to my understanding, not a liability issue. They still do tour. It was the it was the same. Area, that is crazy. Is area of the mind that they do tours on still, right? It was not really the the fact that it was disrespectful to the local people that is got what got it shut down, and not like somebody had a panic Which attack. Which is in extra the mine, hilarious because or one of the actors got lost right? in the mine. Extra hilarious because there's no such thing as locals in Park City at this point. It's not a thing. That's not a thing. There are no locals, so I'm not really sure who was so pissed off. Because they're probably all from California anyway. Yeah. No, you don't You don't live there unless you're super fucking rich, which means you're not from you're not there. You're not from there. Yeah, if you have the money to live there, you are not from there. That is hilarious. Yeah. I'm sorry. So that's fucking cool. I thought it was pretty No, nice. that was an awesome tangent. I'm glad you went on that. Oh, God, that's so cool. Anyway, coal fires. Oh, yeah. Okay, coal fires. 
So coal mine fires suck like 8,000 butts. That's the official scientific how much they suck. And and why do they suck 8,000 butts, Alex? They, they're so impossible to put out. So, and that's actually a saying from the documentary I watched, The Town That Was. Um, uh, sucks 8,000 butts? No, no, no. There's a, there's a saying uh, about anthracite coal that it's hard to get started, but it's nearly impossible to get put out. That's not the actual saying. I'm very good at talking. It's a paraphrase. But Lovely paraphrase. That was a paraphrase. Yeah, anthracite coal is hard to get started and nearly impossible to stop. Because it just burns, man. So, so it started, they tried digging trenches, but, it, like, they dig close to the to where they thought the fire was, and then they'd find out that the fire had moved past where they had been digging. They tried filling it with cement and clay uh, to smother it, but because the coal fire was so hot, it would actually burn away, like, the water and the bits that could burn, and it would just leave more air gaps for the coal to get access to oxygen to continue burning. They tried filling in the mines with uncombustible material, like fly ash, sand, whatever. But, like, A, so these coal mines were already, you know, man-made ventilation. Right. And also, coal fires will cause, like, cracks and fissures in the ground, which will give them more oxygen. Right, so it's very easy for them to expand beyond the confines of the original mm-hmm. tunnels and just move into other areas. Yeah, so so you start with these coal mines, but then you get the coal actually burning into the coal seams. Great. Yeah, it's super, super fun. And beyond that, the coal will actually burn and burn and burn and burn and burn away until it creates ash, and then that'll sediment. And you've got pockets of air. For more coal to burn. For more coal to burn. So in the documentary, I actually remember them saying something about they could have put it out for like a couple thousand dollars, but there was all of this bureaucratic red tape. So they couldn't get the funding and they'd be really, really close to putting it out, but they'd be 50K short or a thousand short or 20,000 short or million short because time just kept moving. The coal fire kept spreading. Wow. It kept getting more and more expensive to put it out. And this bureaucratic red tape kept stopping them from getting the full funding that they needed to put this fire out. So government officials listening to our podcast, uh, don't be stingy <laughs> with firefighting money. How about, can we just like get fires put out and not spare the expense? Seems like a good plan to me. <sighs> yeah, no, it's, it's a really, it's, like, this is the tragic part of the story, is is that it could have been avoided, and it kept not quite getting avoided. And so the symbol, actually, like, for the town became red ribbons, representing the bureaucratic red tape. Oh, that is sad. Right? I mean, Doesn't that kind of hurt your heart? That's, like, super poignant and on the nose, and I applaud them for it, but it does hurt my heart a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they so they were doing this for 20 years. They were trying to put out the fire. They weren't quite getting the money for it, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, the population barely decreased. I mean, they probably didn't have anywhere to go, right? If you're in a small... Like, speaking as somebody who lives in a rural community... It wasn't, it wasn't nowhere to go so much as they didn't want to go. You know, they had this really, like, picturesque small town. It was just this perfect little place. And so... Even the people that left willingly didn't want to go. Right. Because there were generations and generations and generations of Centralians there. All right, it was home. And yeah, it was home. It was it was like it was like I was raised in this house and this was my grandpa's house and I'm a fifth generation Centralian and actually they don't talk like that at all. They have these weird like it's like a mixture of Minnesota and New York, Boston. They're really charming accents, but they're very strange, and I cannot quite describe them, and I definitely could not emulate them. (laughs) Charming sounds like a polite way to put it, but we can move on from that. It was so cute. It was so cute. I don't need to. Remember Craig Manoa's Minnesotan accent? Yes. And how fucking cute that shit was. Yes. Okay. Just put that there. Okay. Okay, I'll put that there. (laughs) It was was cute. It's a a weird, but very cute accent. (laughs) That was just my small town accent being basically Western. 
so yeah, not a ton of people left because the how I guess I guess the town wasn't on fire enough right. yet. There wasn't um, enough coal burning beneath them. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of sort of switch gears from the history and move into the risks of a coal mine fire. Yeah, let's talk about that. So there's toxic gases, both visible and not, sinkholes and ground subsidence. Anywhere from, like, you know, these tiny little pockets to these fucking huge-ass sinkholes. I'm going to swallow your house. Yeah. Fucking literally. And it, that would, the, the, beneath the sinkhole, I'm guessing, would be smoldering coal, right? Like, it's burned away, whatever's above yes. it. And yes. And your sinkhole um, would be going ground down heat. A, oh. And so, like, so there's, there's excess heat everywhere. I mean, you saw the overhead. There was all of those dead trees. Yeah. They were burned. Surface fire risks. And and beyond that, like, the the coal mines themselves, like, where the coal was burning was in the thousands of degrees. Yeah, I'm sure. Totally. But, like, at one point, I think the surface temperature was, was measured at somewhere in Centralia. It wasn't all of Centralia. It was a location in Centralia. But they, there was a surface temperature measured as high as uh, 900 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy hell. That will burn. Fucking hot as shit. It ain't good. <laughs> well, I mean, boiling point is like, what, 200 degrees? Yeah. So you're not going to put your hand in boiling water. Like, you know how fucking hot boiling water is. 900 degrees Fahrenheit. That is hot as fuck. That's when it's time to leave. That's, the, yes, that's when it's time to leave. So colorless, odorless, toxic gases filled residential basements through lovely. through ground fractures right, lovely. you okay. know i was talking about how coal kind of makes these fractures in the ground by, by like you know so burning away and burning at the ground it would make it unstable so we're not only talking about fractures. things you know that are coming about as a result of the coal burning we're also talking about things like radon that would be naturally leaking out of the ground that they're going to be becoming more exposed to or what? Kind of. It, it usually wasn't radon, but it was other like terrifying I, I toxins guess it, that toxins come that were, from coal burning. Okay, from the coal burning, not just things that were present in the grounds that were being then released. Yeah, it was pretty much all coal, coal related, related okay. but like lots of lots of toxic chemicals. And I'm going to get into those. Yeah. And the underground heat was chilling in the thousands. So the biggest, the biggest, biggest, biggest toxic gas was the carbon monoxide. Pretty much every house had a carbon monoxide detector. And the people in the, like, really, really affected area, they'd turn on their carbon monoxide detector and it would immediately start just fucking screaming at them. Harsh. Like, they were living in carbon monoxide. And... I mean, God, we have that... We have a friend of ours who got carbon monoxide poisoning and nearly died. Yeah. But, like, you know, hers was, like, a gas leak. Yeah. These people were living in it, just seeping in it. Constant carbon monoxide exposure. The risks from carbon monoxide are headaches, nausea, dizziness, breathlessness. You'll lose consciousness. You get flu-like symptoms. Uh, you get confusion. And I actually, <laughs> I started writing death as the, like, big, you know... And that's a potential danger from some of these toxins. But, like, every single one of these has a risk of death. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a fuckload of carbon monoxide. That was, like, that was like big scare number one. There's also a ton of carbon dioxide, which actually in really, really large quantities can be toxic. Uh, it causes dimmed sight and reduced hearing. Oh, that sucks. Fucking terrifying. Tremors, shortness of breath, increased blood pressure... Sweating, drowsiness, mild narcosis, which is fun. It's Basically, fun. like, the drowsiness. Yeah. Dizziness, confusion, headaches, you'll lose consciousness. So it's, it's similar to carbon monoxide, but a little yeah. different. With blindness. Yeah, yeah. And I actually remember studying carbon monoxide and, and CO2 in environmental science in high school. And I remember learning that basically what it does is it suffocates you without suffocating you. It emulates the O2 molecules that you need to survive on oxygen yeah, yeah. as a, you know, living, breathing human being. 
it'll pretend to be the O2 molecules. Your hemoglobin will take carbon, uh, carbon monoxide to your brain and your brain will be like, I can't fucking do anything with this. So you end up suffocating without suffocating. That's crazy. Which is why you get all of those crazy. It's, it's like you're drowning in air. Wow. So terrifying. There was also sulfides. So there was sulfur dioxide and hydrogen sulfide. And they have pretty similar like symptoms mm-hmm. as far as like toxicity goes. They also both smell like hell. Think Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's sulfur. I have a good concept of sulfur. It, it'll cause uh, respiratory problems for the most part. But also like getting it on your skin will cause irritation. Kind of similar to frostbite. But the problem with sulfur dioxide and hydrogen sulfide is that they're heavier than air. And so you get it in your lungs and it'll obstruct your breathing, which is literally the thing that scares me about radon. Oh, wow. And you can't exhale is, it. Is it gets into your lungs and you can't get it back out because it's heavier than air. So once it's in there, it's fucking in there. It's so scary. That's so scary. Anyway, also an increase in methane, which headaches, heart palpitation, confusion, dizziness flu-like symptoms so it's pretty similar to the carbons which makes sense because it's a fucking carbon yeah yeah it's a c4 then there's mercury is one of the possibilities and mercury was like the mad hatter stuff so it causes nervousness and anxiety irritability and mood instability it'll cause numbness it'll cause memory problems it'll give you depression it'll give you tremors like you it legit makes so you crazy. Legit like that's what was being used when the Mad Hatter became a thing, was mercury, and so mercury poisoning right. literally causes insanity. Another one is benzene, which is actually one of the chemicals that I don't, I'm not too familiar with the components of, but that one's also you know drowsiness, dizziness, irregular heartbeat, headache, tremor, confusion. So that one's kind of a mixture of all of the problems. <laughs> yeah. And then arsenic is also a, a potential coal byproduct. Great. And that'll give you all sorts of horrifying things. Vomiting, abdominal pain, diarrhea, dehydration, heart problems. It'll give you hemolysis. He- hemolysis. Anyway, that's essentially the destruction of red blood cells. Okay. Which is, you know, one of the ways that arsenic kills you. Vertigo, delirium, shock, nerve damage, liver and kidney damage. Over long exposures, it'll actually change, like, your skin. How? It's, like, the exposure to it, to your skin, will cause, like, a leathery awfulness. Ew. It's fun. I like these things that cross over into our Mm -hmm. Silent Hill already. I can... Definitely picture some bubble heads uh-huh. having that leathery skin or bound like together. The patient demons going on. Like yeah. just covered in their weird skin growth. Yeah, that seems yeah. Yeah. And obviously this didn't happen to any of the residents of of Centralia, but you can see the inspiration. Yes. Like so the town is literally on fire. And and beyond all this, like all of these risks. These are just, like, risks from coal mine fires. From what was actually happening, like, there was an overabundance of carbon monoxide. It literally looked like it was on fire. You went anywhere and the ground was smoking. That's crazy. You know, I've seen some of these documentaries from the 80s that, you know, was a pretty relevant and modern, but, like, still pretty far back then when the coal mine fire was still new. And it was smoking the ground was smoking it was nuts oh and that's what i wanted to get back to you with the the town that was and the john lakaitis thing uh-huh. he was talking about seeing this hill that was in the documentary and i think it was like vaguely smoking but it wasn't like crazy yeah like it was in the you know 1980s documentaries and he was saying that a while back at night the mountain or the hill kind of it glowed blue because wow. it had this blue fire because of the anthracite coal. Wow, that's intense. So those are those are what happened. In 1980, the US Office of Surface Mining reclo- relocated seven families and 27 in 1981. And they these were the like high impact families. They had like the high surface temperature houses and the toxic gases. Yeah. 
they were like the I don't want to go, but like my house is literally a death zone. Yeah. Like if I stay um, here, I will die. I will die. My children will die. And which is often a bigger motivator. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And you know, some of these older documentaries where they were interviewing like actual parents were talking about like yeah, my little girl, she got a cold that just, or she got like the flu and it just kept lasting. And you're like, oh my God, she was fucking getting carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, she doesn't have the flu. She's dying. <laughs> and, and like, they were like figuring that out, you know? Yeah. It's like, we took her to the doctor oh. and she just kept coughing. And, you know, these, these three-year-olds had like symptoms of black lung, which was, you know, the oh. minor disease. So yeah, they... You know, the, the people were still trying to save their homes and their and their town and stop the fire. It was, you know, that's the reason people hadn't left yet. It's because they still had, they were still holding out for hope. Yeah. So one of the documentaries that I watched was this 1981 PBS documentary, I think. And it said that in December of 1979, the mine fire heated up a local gas station gas. It heated up eight thousand gallons of gas to near boiling oh no so that got destroyed then on valentine's day 1981 this kid he's a 12 year old kid tom domboski he is playing in his grandma's backyard he checks out this smoke coming out of this near tree the ground gives out below him he falls into a sinkhole he continues sinking. Ugh. He's surrounded by this fucking hot mud that is just slowly pulling him down. He grabs onto a tree branch or a tree uh, root and is just oh, shouting. Oh, kid. And his He's cousin. Boiled alive. Yeah. Yeah. And his cousin comes, pulls him out, saves him. Ultimately, he ended up like 12 feet down. Holy hell. Because, you know, his whole body. But, you know, I saw, I saw a picture of the branch. And the hole was pretty deep, but like the hole kept going. If he hadn't grabbed that, that, uh, Who knows tree how root, far he would have gone down boiling to death. I have heard, I have heard everything from a hundred to 300 feet. For sinkholes in Centralia. Well, because basically he was sinking into yeah. the ground, into this boiling mud. And when he came out, he, he had the mud caked onto him. It was literally right, it's like, almost like quicksand burned onto yeah. him. It was like, it was like quicksand in a kiln. Yeah. So he definitely nearly died. So that kind of, that kind of woke up the local government and they started an actual, an actual thing. Beyond that, I also remember reading that this woman, her backyard surface temperature registered at 626 Fahrenheit. That's too much. That was just her fucking That's backyard. Too much. <laughs> Even a pool won't help that. Yeah. No, it was... <laughs> Even a pool. <laughs> I um, bought a kiddie pool this weekend. Amazing hot tub. <laughs> and sat out in I that. remember seeing the pictures. It was great. That was my thinking. Yeah. Good work. You know, it was just so hot. Not centrally hot, but hot. I feel you. I feel you. So, so that kind of left a lot of, a lot of discord among the the town there were there were people who were like okay we, we got to get the fuck out of here there were people that were like no we have to save the town what are you doing a lot of it became like the people that were really really directly affected versus the people that weren't quite as affected right. who so so no one was like stoked to right. leave but there were a lot of people who recognized that like it was absolutely vital to leave right it's like time is up we can't try and save the town anymore like we gotta go we gotta go and then there were some, there were some who were just super against moving, and I kind of, I kind of identify with these people. Like I don't know who I would have been, because there were some people who thought it was a conspiracy to like buy the coal mining companies to get them off of the land, of the coal. Like the fire wasn't really happening, or like the fire was a conspiracy that could. The end up fire being wasn't once it was that purchased. bad, and it was being put on. And over-exaggerated by the coal mining companies who wanted them off the land. Like, I definitely, as a, like, as a scientific-minded person, disagree. But as a, oh, like, can... a money-is-poison conspiracy theorist, 
kind of feel them. <laughs> I can see why they would end up feeling that way. I think that, though, when you have, like, I can draw a pretty good parallel with just how I feel when the winds, we have the Dollar Ridge fire right now, which is happening over, uh, not even very far. Uh, most recently, it was 40 miles away from my house, and it was burning 50,000 acres. Oof. Uh, Highway 40 that I would actually take to come and see you was, was closed down. And some people were really concerned. Like, I posted a picture of ash. Ash that had rained down on the Bronco. It, oh, it was like, I remember seeing that. I looked f- yeah, dirty that, as fuck. That was from a fire, you know, 40, 50 miles away at the time. Anyway, for me, you know, you walk outside and you smell barbecue and you know that's not what it is. You go, mm, I'm not going outside today. And I had, I, you know, like Sam, he wasn't worried about it. He went out and mowed his lawn while it was raining ash. Oh my God. I can't do that. You know, so, so for me, I think of existing in those conditions and I go, how could you possibly think like, okay, even if it is intentional, even if it is a conspiracy, how could you possibly think it's okay to stay right now? But you didn't leave. (laughs) Do you feel me? Do you kind of see where they're coming from? But I wasn't actually at risk. It wasn't actually an issue. Well, also this is 30, 40 years ago. So... They didn't have as much knowledge of the dangers of, of, like, these toxic gases, basically. Right. And, like, even in that, even in that documentary with John Lukaitis, I remember him pointing out the lot of, like, his cousin's land. And being like, see, the ground's still there. Like, their issue wasn't the toxic gases. It was the fact that sinkholes were happening so often that, like, the ground would fall beneath you. (laughs) And they were like, whatever. It didn't fall. You're fine. Oh, my God. Just so. So it was just this. Oh, man. Such drives me nuts how sad of a story this is. And I feel them. I, I get it. Like, I get the, like, it, it's vital to leave. We need to leave now. I, I, I want to believe that I'd be one of those people. But I also understand the, like, whatever, this is my town. Like, you can't push me off with some fucking coal mining fire so that you can get access to my coal. It was like a spite thing. Right. It sounds like a resentful, like... And I don't blame them because think about how much coal miners have been fucked over by coal companies. Right. Yeah. You can see it's just the whole situation is totally messed. Yeah. It's a thing. So yeah, after, after Todd Devon's Domboski's fall into the pit of hell, the government was kind of like a fuck. And in December of 1983, the U S Congress appropriated 42 million to relocation, which began in 1984, which left nearly no government motivation to stop the mine fire. Right. Once they relocated people, why should they spend money to stop the fire? Yeah. So, and again, can you see how tragic this is? It's like, it kept getting more and more dire until eventually they were like, all right, it's cheaper to spend money on relocating these people than putting out the fire when they had spent a quarter of that money putting out the fire in the very beginning, it would have been done well, and, and dealt with. Two, just the idea that once the people are relocated, that the issue of a absolutely massive underground coal fire is no longer a concern. Oh yeah. Is very, is very unsettling to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was one of the, like one of the regular questions in the Pennsylvania, like Centralia FAQ was there was a bunch of like global warming and like pollutant and like, those kinds of questions. Yeah. And basically all of the answers were like, it is completely mind boggling, unfeasible for us to even try to put out this fire because we just don't have the money. And there's so many coal fires that are burning in the United States right now. It's wow. It's nuts. I, I never knew so much about coal fires until I started researching this. And, Thank you, Silent Hill. And now I'm so sad. Also, in this in this time, Burnsville and Germantown, which were, I was I was talking to you about Burnsville Road. Oh yes, but Burnsville Road. you know, a couple uh-huh. of also local tiny towns also were part of the relocation effort, so they were also relocated. 
they weren't quite as affected and their town didn't get like literally sinkholed to death, but they were so close that they also got part of the relocation efforts. Good. Oh yeah. Also uh, in the eighties, the St. Ignatius church, mm-hmm. which if you were looking at that overhead map, there was those big cemeteries right next to each other. There used yeah. to be a big church there. And in the eighties, that church was like right in the hot zone. So what was the church swallowed by a sinkhole? No, no. It just eventually got like taken down and demolished. Not, not that I have anything against (laughs) churches, but for our purposes, well, St. Ignatius getting swallowed up by the coal fire ground. Uh, it would have been pretty appropriate. That would have been pretty cool. But it, but again, if you think about like the movie with that church, Mm-hmm. Like, you can... Oh, it It's it's a cool tragedy. Is that horrible? That's horrible. That's a little bit horrible. It's a little bit horrible. Okay. Anyway. By 1992, the population was hella down. 1990, there were 63 people living in Centralia. As opposed to... there were 63? 63. 1980, there was 1,017. 1992, there was about 50. And That's not very many people. Nope. So in 1992, the then governor, Robert P. Casey, authorized condem- uh, condemnation proceedings. So he basically condemned the town. So anybody who had been living there that stubbornly did not relocate. Now had to. Basically. Also in 1993, about 4,000 feet of Route 61 mm-hmm. was closed down. And I was kind of talking to you about that with the, like, giant gaps in the street. and Right, right, right. Just, like, closing down the road and diverting things. Yeah. And you can see it from the satellite. It's covered in graffiti. It's kind of spooky. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, by 2000, there was only 21 people living there. Wow. How interesting would it be to speak to one of those people? Uh, You probably can if you go up. Although I recommend against it for reasons that I will get into shortly. Early 2000s, the U.S. Postal Service discontinued the 17927 zip code. Oh, I read about that. Yep. So they could no longer get their mail. So essentially, they were just trying to, like, just kill this town. Yeah. Kill it with fire. Kill it with fire. And politics. 2013, a court battle that started in the 1992 condemnation proceedings ended in the seven remaining residents getting about 300,000 for their properties in damages. I don't feel like that's enough. And the provision that they could remain in their homes until death, but then their homes would be demolished like the others. So basically every time somebody moved out of town, they would demolish the home. Uh huh. So that's why when you look at those maps, there's so few homes. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that those homes that are still shown on the map have people living in them? Uh huh. Oh, that's so um, crazy. Last I heard, now this is of 2013, so probably it was recorded because of the court settlement. There were five property owners and seven people living there. So they're choosing to stay living in Centralia despite being given $300,000. Well, they were given $300,000 for their homes. Basically, the government bought their home, but gave them the provision that they could continue living there. Right. So I don't understand why they would continue to live there if they'd been given that much money and they were living in such a dangerous and toxic environment. Well, the reason that they sued the government isn't because they wanted more money for their house. The reason they sued their government is because they didn't want to leave Centralia. But I understand that. I'm just saying that. (laughs) Basically, these are the last stubborn few that still live here. And, and like, I don't know, we, you know, when I first was reading about this story, I was like, who the fuck would still live there? But the more I researched it, the more I felt for these people. And like, I absolutely under no circumstances would continue to live there. But like, I get it. I get it. Like, it's your life. You can live in weird toxic land that you don't think is toxic because it's your fucking home and the government can't tell you to leave. I get it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can empathize with that a little bit. I I don't agree with it for me, but I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the the Saint Ignatius Church was was eventually demolished, but there is still the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary that is still standing, 
which is what you see if you see any like really modern images of Centralia that, that have a church. Okay. That's the that's the church. The cemeteries are still upkept, and and people actually still get buried there. They leave Centralia, but then they come back to be buried. That's so crazy. They're just like they're so attached to their town. Which, like, the more I learned about this, the more I was like, okay, man, I, I feel you. I feel your connection to this land. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that we fucked you up so bad. So, yeah, that's that's the history that sucks so much ass. And then for as far as modern, like, where it's at right now, most of this information I got from a mixture of that vaguely recent documentary... Mm-hmm. And a cracked article that I actually read from, I think, 2015, 2016, that was interviewing... I don't think you should tell our listeners that we get our sources from, like, the cracked okay. is a source. I know, I know, but cracked actually isn't that bad. And also, they interviewed two ex-Centralia residents and one current Centralia resident. So, it was okay. through cracked, but it was a okay. pretty primary source. Okay, okay. So, there's still constant sinkholes. That just are there. And it's everything from, like, the small, like, you pop down and break your ankle. Like, little mini sinkholes. Uh-huh. Just a pocket of gas. To, you know, the giant eat-your-children kind. And, oh my god, they had these stories of, like, seeing animals actually get eaten by the sinkholes. Oh, that's terrifying. Toxic fumes still leak from the cracks in the ground. And from drains. And basically everybody living there essentially has black lung. That's so nuts. They they all have the black lung cough because they all have black lung. See, that's what I don't understand is being willing to live somewhere where you get black lung. I mean, I get it. Like the whole home thing you're talking about. But yeah, still just like not putting your personal health first. Yeah. And I well, And the other thing is like the the average age of the residents is like late 60s. There's there's people living there that are like in their 80s. Like, they're not leaving because, like, how are you going to move? You're in your 80s. Right? Right. Yeah. So, so at this point, the the remaining, like, five homes, whatever, man, do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at this point, it's not that they're denying that there's something wrong, although a little bit they are. I think at this point, it's kind of just that they're still there. They're just the last ones left. This is what they're doing. That's what they've committed to. Yep. Most of the homes went to eminent domain to the government. They were demolished. They took out curbs, foundation, sidewalks, just anything that they could take out that was these homes and covered them with plants. So literally just destroying everything. It's interesting to me that they would go to the work to get rid of the sidewalks and stuff, like, really eliminate the infrastructure. Like, definitely do not live here. We don't want anyone to be tempted to even be squatting here. It's it's so crazy that, that they went through so much. But, like, it's almost like they're trying to erase what happened. Yeah. They, they took names and directions off of signs and buildings. Like, the municipal uh, county building. It doesn't say Centralia. It just says C- municipal building. Whoa. They like they're taking names off of signs and buildings, like they're destroying town history. They're even destroying documents. That's weird that they'd be destroying documents. Oh yeah, I remember hearing a story about how it took like half a day to get a deed to a house because all of the history was destroyed because the documents had literally been destroyed. That's so crazy. Yeah, but and this is the last bit. Tourists are destroying the town more than the mine fire right now. Oh, great. Yeah. So, like, that graffiti on the highway. Mm -hmm. Houses get graffitied. One of the stories was from one of the dudes that still lived there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this was a a modern, this was like a 2015, 2016 interview. He said that a tourist came up to his house and chipped off some of his stairs. That's so upsetting. And then wrote, let it burn on his That's terrible. stairs, on his shit, That's on so his terrible. house. And he was just like, why would they do that? Like, I'm here. <laughs> so yeah, even though I'm telling this story, 
I recommend against touriseming to Centralia because leave these poor five people alone. I'm with that. So yeah, that's Centralia. Wow. Good inspiration for a terrifying video game. Or movie. Whichever. In this situation, it's the movie. I know. I remembered that when I said it, so I tried to suavely correct myself. It was very suave. Thank you. High quality suave. Finger guns. So yeah. That's that's the story of the saddest ghost town in America, because it's only kind of a ghost town. It's mostly a ghost town, I would say. Those five people, like those are like walking it's ghosts, like, right? It's like ninety nine point nine percent a ghost town. But yeah, I didn't expect to be so interested by coal. Right? Who knew? Who knew it'd be? I think this is a really good example, though, of why the name is Horror Academy, because although the theme and the original topic this episode was Silent Hill, we spent uh, quite some time learning about coal and the toxic chemicals that it produces when it burns, and we learned about uh, state-level bureaucracy, we learned about what happens when you lose your home to a natural disaster, but don't really lose it. Yep. So, you know. I mean... Good job. You can't have horror without politics. Agreed. Horror horror is inherently political, which is what I like about it. And we will have to cover that more later. Oh yeah. Oh, it'll it'll be covered like every goddamn episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. That was super fun. Oh, anyway, I love you. I got to go to bed. Good night. I love you too. Good night. There's a time for living The time keeps on flying Think you're loving, baby And all you're doing is crying Can you feel? Ah, those feelings real Look at your game, girl Look at your game, girl Confusion, frustration and doubt Can you ever live without the game? The sad, sad game Mad game Just to say your love's not enough If on you can't be true you can tell those lies, baby, but you're only fooling you. Can you feel? Ah, those feelings real. Look at your game, girl. Oh, look at your game, girl. If you can't feel, and the feelings ain't real, then you better stop trying, or you're gonna play crying. Sad, sad game